get here and want a creative job. There are hundreds of jobs that will pay you to think, solve, make, create and design. In How Did I Get Here, I speak to entrepreneurs, leaders, trendsetters and trailblazers in some of the world's most desirable jobs and ask them, how did you get here? Today I'm speaking with Mark Denton. Mark Denton's a man of many hats, an art director, creative director, executive creative director, agency founder, director, designer, award show president, committee member, producer of plays, Mexican wrestling matches, and all manner of visual eccentricities and Mark has been recognized at all of the major advertising award shows on multiple occasions. He's also sat on the board of several of them, and ultimately, is a household name within the advertising industry. Suffice to say, if it exists within the creative industry, Mark's probably done it, and if it doesn't exist, Mark is probably doing it. Uh, Mark spoke to me uh, about how he makes so many of his bonkers ideas happen. So without further ado, uh, please enjoy my interview with Mark Denton. Good morning, Mark. How are you well, doing? I'm glad you like the tea. Yes, it's lovely. It's um, got almond milk in it because I wouldn't normally have almond milk. I had my uh, blood tested a little while ago and they said my cholesterol was a bit high, so that's why I'm drinking crap tea now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Explain that. Almond milk is very... very... Very nice of you to say he likes a nice cup of tea and you're thinking, God, this tea is crap. It's very 2017 of you. Just to kick off, why don't you, um, you sort of tell us what, what you do what you define as your job role, and maybe, for example, what you did to do with work yesterday. Well, okay, my, my day job is shooting TV commercials. Um, but, um, cause, and I like doing that, it's great, really great. Love working on TV commercials, love working with other creatives. Like, I like create, um, solving any creative problems. Um, but being an ex-art director, creative director, I still like coming up with the ideas, so I can't help myself. I continue to create briefs for myself, I suppose. You know, it's all I do lots of self-initiated projects, turns into, into, into interesting opportunities. I find that just scribbling some, you know, a worthwhile idea on a bit of paper, um, enrolling other people to make me help me make it happen suddenly creates opportunities that I can't, I can't guess about insofar as I'll do something like, uh, going back a few years now, but I do this on a, on a almost daily basis. Um, I'll be working with a photographer and say, here, uh, how about shooting me dressed up as my fictional ancestors? And we do that and I end up uh, on the telly with my own half hour Japanese TV programme or in the National Football Museum. Tell me a bit more about that then, the Japanese television programme. Or are you just using that as a Yeah, as well, I was using that as an example. I could, give you, I could give you tons of examples. Um, uh, you'd have to come along to my uh, very, very, very long talk about yeah. it. But um, uh, the thing I say to any creatives is, uh, you know, don't, don't wait for someone to give you a brief. Now, if you're really creative, you can come up with your own brief, you can spot opportunities. You can do something creative and uh, things shift in the world. Mm. Yeah. I think that's really great advice. There's certainly um, 
I think because when you're young and um, you know maybe haven't got the self confidence to self initiate projects, you don't think of these things. But you know it, it's really easy looking back to um, we I do it sometimes. You know I've not been doing this job very long. I'll say to students like you know if you've got an idea you know go get a DSLR camera from Curry's go shoot it and then you know if you wanted to I'm not recommending it you could take the camera back afterwards you know which and they you sort of see them light up but actually I, when I was their age uh, I'm not that old now but when I was 18 I wouldn't have had that idea and I wouldn't even have the confidence to do it so it's it's really great to hear that um okay well do you know I didn't have a lot of confidence when I started in the industry yeah you know despite my acquired media accent I'm quite common I come from a scrap metal uh, merchant family, all my family were in scrap. So when I found myself in advertising, I was shit scared. I couldn't open my mouth. I was that petrified of mm. these posh people with, with degrees. But I wanted to get, I liked being creative. I wanted to get somewhere. And um, it just seemed obvious. I didn't, it wasn't any great plan because I'm not a deep thinker. Probably get by the end of this interview I'm not a really deep thinker you know that deep and I've read some of the questions you're going to ask me already I'm thinking this is this feels like too much thinking's gone into this right okay. you know and I think I'd advise to as a youngster you can agonize over stuff and try to work things out and you're really better off just doing things making bloody great mistakes, finding yourself in the middle of a creative disaster and then adjusting your trajectory. Going from now, that, you know, it's, you know s- s- looking at things from afar and prodding it with a stick has never been really good for me. You know, when I was a young uh, visualiser and I shared, a, uh, I shared an office with a senior art director, he used to go down to the pub at 11 o'clock and um, I used to pick his phone up and if a photographer's rep or an illustrator's rep wanted to make an appointment, I used to make an appointment with them. I used to see him while he was see him while he was down the pub, pretend I was the art director, and then persuade him to shoot things for me. Right. For nothing. There you go. Initiative. Yeah. So it's only it's my, it was my desperation to make stuff was stronger than my um, lack of confidence. Yeah. Interesting. Um, are there any books that you regularly gift to people or yeah. you know, recommend? Yeah. That's an easy one. Go on. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Okay. Great book. Yeah. My advice is don't go to college. Just buy that book. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Buy that book, read it a couple of times, and you've got all the tools you need to uh, make things happen. Okay. Any others? I wouldn't give them anything else. Just that one. Yeah, I'd look at a load. Of, go down the library. Don't have to buy any books. Look at a load of old DNA annuals. See how it used to be done. Because despite what people tell you now, it was better in the old days. Not not from a nostalgic point of view. There was more craft. No one's being taught how to be an art director anymore. Uh, there was more stuff being made. There were fewer meetings. You know, there ain't many people who can talk with forty-one years of experience. I can tell you now. There weren't as many meetings in the old days. I've spent a lot of time in meetings talking about being creative rather than actually being creative. Mm. It's part of the, you know, it's just the way things are now. You've got to, you've got to, if you want to continue to be in advertising, you've got to go through that process. But, um, you know, I'd rather be doing stuff than talking about it. Yeah. And uh, anyone who wants to get into business, I, 
I really wouldn't advise anyone to go to university arc. If you want to be a creative in advertising, you could save yourself three or four years. I learnt more in the first six months, or I probably learnt more in the first six weeks of being in an agency than I did uh, three years at art college. Okay, so I'll, I'll throw that back at you then. So if you could go, say, say for example, in an alternate reality somewhere, there's a Mark Denton who's uh, 20 years old, yeah. wants to get into advertising in 2017, and you could somehow travel to that reality and talk to that Mark, and what would you say? In terms of maybe that maybe that, that mark knows nothing about advertising but right. wants to do it what would you say to to him to do now um i'd get yeah i'd go out buy myself out to win friends and influence people i would ring up in this alternate reality i don't know if someone like me exists um but i'd ring that old git up who's with these airbrained theories and say I've just listened to a podcast where where you said read this book I've read it what do I do next and they can come round and um, we'll work out a plan I'll wind them up um, see what I do on a daily basis is just have my radar out mm. see if you can't sell the way I see it is if you can't sell yourself then you shouldn't be in advertising anyway now, if you try really hard to sell yourself and you can't get in, because it's really hard to get in, because everyone, you know, a lot, a lot of youngsters want to get into advertising. If you can't do it, you are not up to it. It's as simple as that, because advertising is all about selling. Yeah. If you can't be think of a creative strategy that gets you through the door, then why are you qualified to sell someone else's tin of baked beans? That's a very good point. So, I would, uh, yeah, I have my radar out every, every day. I went, I was in Soho few weeks back I was early for a meeting I had 40 minutes to kill I just walked around the streets and I thought I went down Old Compton Street there's a restaurant there that only sells crisps I thought fucking hell that's a good brief a restaurant that only sells crisps I'm gonna get in touch with them I'm gonna do a campaign for them they don't know it yet they've never met me walked a little bit further went into a vintage clothing store by the time the 40 minutes were over, I'd written in my head three different scripts for selling vintage clothing. I thought I'm going to get in touch with them. We would shoot that on Super 8, it would cost fuck all. It would look authentic because it's on Super 8. We use their old clothes. I know a few young people who keep coming and visiting me. I'll get them dressed up in 1960s and 70s clothes. Before you know it, we've got a campaign selling this chain of vintage clothing stores. Walked a little bit further down uh, near Carnaby Street, there was a trendy hairdresser's, loads of tattoos all over the place. Um, I thought, they look interesting, I'm going to go in there and have a little chat with them, I bet I could come up with a good campaign for them, whether it's moving or whether we shoot some stills or whatever. And he got good enough ideas, it's very easy to enrol other people to help you realise them. It's as simple as that, it really is bloody easy. And if you can't apply that sort of stuff, you're in the wrong business. What I don't like seeing is, I don't like people standing on the sidelines and asking loads of questions about, how do I do this? You've got to get in there, get your hands dirty, work out how to do it, make a load of mistakes. It took me, I'd say it took me about three years to get, actually get what a good idea is. And I, I've got to say, my first boss, I used to bring in tear sheets from magazines and say, is this any good? I like it. Is it any good? So you've got to ask questions. I'm not saying don't ask questions. Mm. but. Um, 
I learnt more by making stuff, and I learnt more by making stuff and making bloody great big mistakes on the stuff that I was making. But uh, that's where the book, How to Influence, Influence mm. People, is useful. It helps you enrol other people to get involved in your stuff. Yeah. See, left to my own devices, I'm generally on a shoot, whether it's a TV commercial shoot or a photographic shoot, I'm the most unqualified person on the set. All I've got is an opinion. I ain't got anything else. I've got very, very few O levels. I can barely turn a computer on. Um, um, I know a camera has got a, a glass bit at the front, and um, uh, not very, certainly not very technical. All I've got, all I've ever had, is an opinion, and that's all you've got to have. You've got to have a creative opinion. You've got to have faith in it, and you've got to enrol other people to help you realise your vision. It's bloody easy. Great advice. I think you have to prepare for your phone to uh, start ringing a bit. Yeah, no, I think you know, you're, you're probably because you're here drinking my tea. You know, I see. I will see anyone. Yeah. See what? Yeah. What? No one could see is that you've got this magnificent beard. <laughs> you turned up. Thank you very you much. You turned up and straight away. I'm doing this, doing this series of comedy footballers. This photographic series of comedy footballers and making them into spoof 1970s bubblegum cards and I'm thinking right okay we've got a Swedish footballer sitting here I'm going to ask him at the end of this interview if he wants to be in front of the camera and we'll make him look ridiculous but you've got that you've got that fun question okay answer. very good I look forward to it um so as per the intro there's a lot of different roles that you've done um in this industry but that first um, role in an agency, what was your kind of journey into that? What did, you, did you go to a college? And art yeah, college? I, went, I didn't have, I told you before, I didn't have many O-levels. O I was quite good at drawing as a kid. Um, my first job was working at my dad's scrapyard loading lorries and I, I thought, I don't like this much because um, I used to work there in school holidays. I started work there at 15, uh, 13, I was when I first started working. And my uncle was a uh, silversmith and he'd gone to art college, so that's all my family knew about art college. And he ended up being a silversmith. And I was quite good at drawing. And my mum said, oh, well, you could, you could end up, if you went to art college, you could be one of those people who paints the patterns on plates. And I thought, yeah, I'd like that. Didn't like the idea of moving to Stoke-on-Trent to do that. And um, so, I thought, I'm going to go to art college, learn how to do stuff like that. Before I got there, because I got rejected, because I didn't have an O-level, so I got rejected by proper art colleges, because um, I, I had a portfolio that I put together, but I didn't, I didn't have the required qualifications. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to be a hairdresser, So because um, I've been cutting other people's hair for a long time without any qualifications. And um, I thought, that's the thing to do, be a hairdresser, because that felt like quite a creative thing to do. So I had to get into advertising. Uh, I was polishing my scooter on, the, on, on my dad's drive. I was 17, polishing my scooter, and this bloke pulled up on a moped and started talking to me. See, that's the essential, that you know, is an essential ingredient. Read, how to win friends and influence people, and then do a lot of talking. Because I really will talk to anyone. This bloke's a complete stranger, started chatting, and he said, uh, I'm going to art college. I said, really? I'd like to go to art college. He said, yeah, it's this one that's like an annex to um, Ravensbourne. 
is for people who haven't got O levels. Uh, it's called the School of Vocational Studies, and you and you learn how to be a paste-up artist and, and photography and uh, you know, practical stuff, typography. So it's all practical stuff. Didn't know any, didn't really know anything about advertising apart from the fact that I liked the adverts. That's all I knew. And I came out the end of that as a visualizer. Got my first job as a visualizer and a paste-up artist. So. See, I'm saying visualiser and you're nodding. Yeah. Do you know what visualiser is? Do, do they exist anymore? Is a modern equivalent is the design studio, I'm guessing, for people Yeah, well, pace, yeah, pace up artist is the design studio. Because yeah. you used to, you know, I've learned how to um, do a bit of copy fitting uh, and basic typography. And you, someone used to give you a, bun, uh, a page full of uh, copy and then you used to count up all the words, mark it off, send it away, a bit of type would turn up. You put glue on a board and stick the type in position as the artwork. Thank God I learned how to do something else after that, because you know, obviously that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And visualising was re really just having a bunch of magic markers and um, drawing the concept up. So, you know, if there was a photograph required, you didn't have you didn't have all the stock shots that you'd have now. You didn't have access to a computer. There weren't any computers about then. So I'd be the one drawing the picture of the man drinking the beer in the advert in Magic Marker. So that you know that that was my first that was my first job at a proper agency. The first agency I went to was uh, I got into was Bridge Advertising in Great Portland Street. That was 1975, I think. Uh, and then um, I got a job as a visualizer at Leo Burnett, 79. I don't know if that was the question. And the rest, no. <laughs> but, that's the from there. but that's the answer. And what was that? So that very first job as the visualizer, what was that? Uh, a phone call? Did you just show up? Just turn up at the company and say, I'm, I've I, I saw an ad in the back of the campaign. Said, advertising for yeah, the... Yeah, and he said, he said uh, assistant art director wanted. And I applied for the, Great Portland Street. I applied for the job, got it. And... Uh, my boss there used to work in uh, back in the 60s used to work in a fancy agency and so he still had contacts so it was his mate at the Burnett who ended up to he was the he was the head of type at the Burnett, but he was just starting to do a bit of art direction his name was Mike Brandt and he just started being an art director and retaining the title of head of type um, head typographer um, but he couldn't draw and it was, it was quite important for art directors to be able to draw then, so he needed an assistant that could draw. So I was brought in as, as Mike Brent, head of, uh, head of Type's assistant, to draw his layout some yeah. point. Um, okay, and so you, you mentioned sort of you try and give quite a lot of time to students, people looking to get into the creative yeah. industry. and old people. I, you know, I, I, I'm not prejudiced. Anyone. I'll talk to anybody. What... Um, Amongst those kind of young people then who are, you know, probably full of, maybe full of talent, um, not quite sure what they want to do, what, do you think that there's anything in common amongst them, you know, where they're, they're kind of holding themselves back? Ten years later, they might look back and go, oh, should have been more X or less Y. There's something that you're able to see in them as a, as a slightly older person and you think actually most of them are doing, doing this and they shouldn't be or they're not doing this and they should be. I think just going back on what I said earlier, and it's bloody hard to turn this stuff off, and maybe um, I'm just lucky that I've never been a deep thinker. A lot of them are thinking too hard yeah. and not applying themselves. 
you know, I had a, um, years and years ago, I had an old girlfriend who told me this formula, and it's very similar, effort equals reward. And um, I've, always, I've always remembered that. Mm. It's just, just pedal hard and you'll generally get what you want. Yeah. And you're better off being in action. And sometimes the action is talking to people because, you know, before you, until you get the idea of, of the, ju the judgment of that's a good ad, that's a good idea, and that's not a good idea. So I'm not saying that you don't talk. You've got to talk a lot. You've got to keep asking questions, but being in action and making things is the most important thing by a long way. Even, because it's really simple. You start a creative process, you start making something. Once you're in action, even if you've realized, this is shit, I'm, you know, I should have taken that <laughs> other fork in the road. There was a fork yeah. in the road there, I should have gone that direction. If you're in action, you can adjust that and go in a different direction. When you're standing on the sidelines, all you're doing is thinking about what the end result yeah. would, could be. If you're in action making something and adjusting it as you go along, as you make mistakes, then you know you're going to get a result. You know, the person who's still on the sidelines looking at it, thinking about it and stroking their chin is miles behind. Yeah. And like I say, now if, you're, if you ain't up, up to coming up with creative solutions and creative projects that are going to make you look good and easily sellable to agencies, why would any agency pay your money to come up with solutions for their multi-million pound clients. That's very true. Um, okay, so you've um, you've been in and around the creative industry for over 40 years, I believe you said. Yeah, 41 yeah. years. So you've seen it change a lot and no doubt it will continue to change. Um, positive or negative, what does the, the future of advertising and marketing look like got, to you? I haven't got a bloody clue. No one knows what's going to happen. Nobody, you could guess. How would I ever guess that um, when I was, it, when I was uh, an advertising creative, how would I ever guess that the system would change where there are more meetings and there's more people discussing being creative? Um, well, how would I guess that that would ever become the norm? And that is the norm now. Um, you know, there's more committees about. There's less creative stars. You know, it's not nostalgic. You know, I'm not. You know, I don't think you should be nostalgic. You know, things are what they were, and things are what they are now. There's great advantages in in the way that the world works now. Production has never been cheaper. It means my wages uh, are lower, um, and what I do is valued less because it's never been cheaper, and it's an oversupplied marketplace. But as a creative. It's never been easier to make stuff. You know, the, just the technology that's at everyone's fingertips. Mm. You know, don't need, no one needs any more than a mobile phone. And you could really, you could, do a, you could make a feature film. Um, so that's, there's really bloody exciting things going on. But I see so little evidence of people utilising the, uh, all the facilities now yeah. and the opportunities now. You know, it's still, I still find, I find it's, a, it's amazing how conservative a lot of youngsters are. 
and now they want to, you know, you've got to learn the rules before you can break them, I suppose, but there's, I don't find a lot of people, you know, I get more excited by, um, by coming across people who are already breaking the rules and ignoring what's going on. So what's going to happen next? I haven't got a bloody clue. It, I, I, I genuinely think it could be a very, very exciting time that we're headed for. You know, it seems to be a bit of a transition period at the moment, mm. where there's still, you know, I don't. There's still vestiges of the old system clinging on, and some of the new stuff that's coming in ain't as good as the the old system. I'd love to see the old system removed completely. I'd like something new and exciting. Um, but you know, I, I keep every now and then I think, oh, should I start another advertising agency? And I genuinely think that sometimes, and I think. I'm too fucking old. Too old, I haven't got the energy. Or should I start a new awards scheme? I think awards, it's got very messy awards and how people pursue awards now. It feels very unhealthy. I'm not saying I didn't pursue awards when I was young I, I, and I had no confidence, I did. Um, but it, it, the system feels very unhealthy and what a waste of bloody money. I don't actually spend any money on, on entering awards now. I'd rather spend the money on creating things. Yeah, it feels like there was a time well before my time when agencies, if they felt like they had a sure bet on something, yeah. it was definitely going to win something they'd yeah. enter. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they sort of wouldn't. Whereas it does seem to be now more of a kind of carpet bomb strategy from the from the big networks anyway. It's kind of yeah. just enter everything into everything. Feels very unhealthy and what a waste of bloody money. Yeah. You know, and you've got some serious bloody businessmen and I know it's being looked at by some networks about not entering the walls and I think that feels healthy I th don't get me wrong I thought awards were were good and I think awards when they're done well are still potentially good but um, there needs to, the, something needs to be broken and then fixed again because mm. it, it's um, just the outrageous waste of money that's going on doesn't feel it just doesn't feel right you know it's, it's you're going to ask me about quotes and things in a minute and I was going to say it you know forget quotes forget inspirational quotes they're not worth anything but it's it's is a quote from the Incredibles one of my favorite films Incredibles and Syndrome who is the villain don't know if you know the Incredibles yeah. bloody great film big fan um, uh, is it is is putting together all these inventions is going to make everyone super so to do away with superheroes and he's got a line in there is something like and when everyone's super no no one will be now I'm an you know, I'm a, a big follower of all social network uh, um, networking I'm on Facebook all the time I love Instagram I did Twitter a bit um, but around award season, this was a year or so ago, a couple of years maybe, um, I saw a picture of someone coming away from DNAD and they had an armful of pencils. And it really was, you know, no one could see me gesturing how big this arm of pencils was. It was a bloody great big armful of pencils. So something and someone had had a bloody good night and there was, there must have been 10 pencils in this clutch. Uh, maybe more. And, uh, and of course you get a wooden pencil now, you get a green pencil, you get a white pencil, you get a graphite pencil, you get a silver pencil, you get a black pencil. It took me f 10 years of bloody hard graft to get me first yellow pencil. 
and it was a precious thing and it was relatively rare to win one. It was fucking hard and some really great people went through their whole career and never won one. Now, it's like schools where they give all the kids a gold good star so no one gets left out. They're relatively valueless now. What value is it? And it, you know, I'm not trying to diminish that, that uh, bloke, happy bloke's great night, because it must have been great. But he might have been one of 12 people going up to pick that clutch of pencils up. They wouldn't have read his name out, because they don't read their names out anymore. Uh, good night. It doesn't feel like a great night to me. It doesn't feel very healthy. I can't see, I can't see what real value that is. And, uh, and I can't see why titans of the industry, the, the men in the sensible suits, who push the, the numbers around, are looking at the, uh, the spreadsheets that have got hundreds of thousands of pounds at the bottom of them that are being spent on awards. What, I can't really see what value it is. Okay, Mark, so how has um, a failure or a string of failures or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favourite failure of yours? Yeah, I could, I could give you loads of failures, but uh, probably the, the most dramatic one is me getting kicked out of my own agency. As far as I was a partner in an agency, I got fired. And I got fired um, in campaign. They said it was neglect of duty. And um, that's after six and a half years of never taking a day's holiday and going in on, and going in on Christmas Day and winning more awards than almost any other creative in the world, ad for ad. Um, so that was interesting. Um, if you see that as a failure, um, it wasn't. It wasn't. At all, it wasn't at all because I started directing after that, and I did. To be honest, after it, you know, obviously I felt a little bit bitter um, for five minutes because it doesn't do. You know, I had a bloody great hand of cards in that situation, and I played them badly. Most times, you can look at any failures, and and you can pretty soon stop blaming anyone else and go and look in the mirror. You know, there, there's a reason why I got fired, and um, you know, the culprit does stare back at me from the mirror every time. So uh, uh, I played a, a really good hand of cards badly, found myself out on the arse after what I, you know, from a creative point of view, was a big score. But what that had given me was a lot of opportunities, and uh, I thought I'll, I'll try directing while I work out what I'm going to do. So I didn't see directing as a long-term career. I like directing. Um, I, I tr you know, I tried it on some of my own ads, but I was directing with my partner, Chris Palmer, who's, who was uh, obviously a bloody great director now. Um, but and he was passionate about directing. I, at the time, it wasn't my number one priority, but I thought I'd give it a bash. But here I am, 28 years later, still directing. So um, that failure. I've worked with Chris for 11 and a half years and Chris, uh, you know, I don't know if you know Chris or if you met him, he's, he's very vocal and he's, he, he, was, he was the front man, you know, I didn't need to say much because Chris would say, oh, we had a great working relationship, uh, I was very happy doing what I was doing uh, as my role, but you know, it's like playing tennis, one bloke's up front and one bloke's at the back, you know, you can't both be up the front. Um, so. Um, the apparent failure 
me getting fired from my own agency after all that paper success suddenly meant that I had to look after myself and I felt, that's when I found my voice and I, you know, I started doing things that I really didn't know I could do um, so I, would, I wouldn't change anything at all it's been a very exciting journey since then uh, and um, you know when I was at Leo when I started at Leo Burnett as the visualizer I remember this is me rambling again um, I remember being in a meeting room there's about a dozen people in there and um, my my two bosses top account man planners sensible people Leo Burnett they had a policy at the time for only taking on Oxford and Cambridge graduates so as me, always thinking, oh, I come from a scrapyard, I shouldn't be here, I really shouldn't be here. And I've perfected this, this, um, this way of being in meetings for a couple of years where I didn't say anything. And I just nodded sagely from time to time and I didn't say anything. And then the phone rang next to me. I was happened to be sitting next to the phone and the phone rang and everyone looked at me in the meeting. They all, all the heads turned to me. And I was so petrified because I'd gone for two years without speaking in the meeting in front of all these posh, qualified people. I, got, I just froze, I couldn't pick up the phone. And in the end, the junior account man threw his pen down and marched down the table and picked the phone up. And everyone looked at me like, why didn't you pick the phone up? I couldn't do that then. I was out on my arse and the recession hit after I had my second production company and the, and the phone, I'd got the hang of answering the phone by then. The phone stopped ringing, couldn't get any work, our rep couldn't get into agencies, so I started doing talks. Because I thought, from a creative point of view, this is the, thinking about a problem from a creative point of view. My rep couldn't get in to sell the reels to agencies. So I thought, if I go and do a talk in an agency, I've got a captive audience for an hour. Creative solution to a problem. I'd never done any public speaking before, I was a little bit nervous about it. You know where I come from. I was too bloody frightened to open my mouth early on in the industry. Getting fired from my own agency gave me a voice. The recession hitting, the money drying up, and the necessity to get inside an agency to be seen, because it's all about awareness, meant that I started these talks. The talks have led on, I've done talks all over the world now. The D I did, did one of them for DNAD. 700 people turned up. Um, they said it was the most oversubscribed talk they've ever had. They said there's been more tweets about this talk than any talk they've ever put on before. Opened lots of doors. I've been asked to do them for clients now. I did one for Sky, Sky the other day. That's led on to suddenly that's opened lots of doors. Clients have started, since I did, I did one for Advertising Week Europe, I thought my first initial response is, oh, I can't go and talk to those people. They're all the sensible clients and the, and the account men and the planners and the, they, don't, they don't want a creative talk. I was approached by clients to handle their uh, business direct after I did those two talks at Adweek Europe. Doing, you know, just a, a great example of adversity can, for a good creative person, you can turn that into an advantage. And I wouldn't, you know, I really wouldn't change anything in my career at all. I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't do anything differently. I regret. No, I don't regret. I don't regret anything at all. If I regret anything, I think 
I wish I'd been fired earlier. I wish, you know, I wish things would, you know, if anything adverse things happen, I wish the recession had happened earlier. I wish I'd started doing the talks earlier. It's kind of, mm. you know, the, the, the riches that have come out of bad things happening. Um, all up, you know, if I regret anything, is, is, is only that they didn't happen sooner. Interesting. Um, you might have touched on this when you were sort of talking about um, how to win friends and influence people. Um, and you mentioned quotes as well, so we'll see how we fare with this one. Uh, you work in advertising, um, so you're familiar with billboards. If you could put a billboard somewhere where it's guaranteed to be seen by millions of people and you could have one message on it, one sentence long, doesn't even have to be credited to you, but just something that you think everyone should bear in mind as they go through life, what what would it be? Yeah, uh, again, that, you know, from a personal point of view, give me a billboard, but give me a brief to advertise a tin of baked beans, and then hopefully, with the wind blowing in the right direction, I'll come up with something as good as beans means Heinz. That's more valuable to me than thinking of some inspirational quote or some life-changing um, message that I can put out there. I like cracking advertising problems. That's what I'd put on a billboard. I'd want to sell something and not necessarily a better way of living because I ain't that brainy. But I can do a pretty good ad for baked beans with the wind blowing in the right direction. So that's what I would enjoy doing. Or something funny that will just make people laugh. A visual gag that, now it's my favorite formula because I still rely on my magic markers. I've got a layup pad, I've got a full set of magic markers, I've got lots of pens, and um, my favorite thing is scribbling something on a bit of blank paper and enrolling other people to help me make it. And if necessary, chucking a lot of money at it get it in front of people and get some sort of reaction. So if it was a good visual gag that made people laugh, that'd be, in, that'd be enough. Some inspirational bunch of words. I probably ain't qualified to do that. What can I, you know, what? No. And, it, and it doesn't excite me either, I yeah. think. Yeah. Give me a bottle of beer to sell. Um, when you hear the word successful, who or what comes to mind? Not anyone who's enjoying themselves, you know, it's not, you know, I, I genuinely wanted a Rolls Royce when I was a youngster. I genuinely wanted a roller. I haven't got a car now. You know, um, things like that. Uh, again, it's one of the advantages. No one's going to, no one's going to experience this until they get old. And it's a cliche. I, I am a cliche. I mean, I'm, I'm 61 very shortly. And, uh, now, as you get older, you want to own less. I don't want to own anything. You know, we're sitting in a, a four-bedroom house now. I've got rooms here that I don't go in. There's, I've got rooms I haven't been in for 10 years. You can see out in the garden. I've been here 14 years. I've been in that garden about uh, half a dozen times. Right. I don't want... I don't actually want stuff. I like making stuff. I do... I love drawing things, I like designing things, I like getting things made, I like commissioning things. But once I've done that, I kind of, I don't necessarily want to own it afterwards. 
don't know if that makes any sense at all. No, so, I know what you mean. if you know, success is someone who really enjoys what they're doing, and I enjoy making stuff. And that's so I do consider myself successful. Am I driven? Yeah, because everything I've ever done, and I think you're going to ask me a question about what work are you most proud of in a minute. Um, but um, of course, I'm proud of a lot of the work I've done. But it, it's the stuff I'm doing next is the is the stuff that gets me out of bed in the morning. That's that is the most fun stuff. And I think anyone who's really creative, if you're doing, if you if you want to be a creative in an agency just as a job. I think they're better. I think they're better, and you for the money you're going to earn. I think they're better jobs you can go and get. You know, if it is going to be a nine to five job, but if you're if you're a passionate creative who likes making things and solving creative problems, uh, as long as you can keep that process going, and if you're creative, if you can keep that process going as long as you like. You know, I have got a lot of friends who have been uh, rejected by. You know, they've hit their fifties and they've been rejected by advertising. Um, I think if you're really creative, you don't have to ever stop being creative, and being you know looking like you've got some kind of value to other people who are going to pay you for it. Fuck knows what the question was. That's <laughs> no, a great answer. Um, is there a belief you've got that many other people would think is nuts? It's very hard to guess what other people think of you. I am got a bloody clue. You're someone who's not me. What do you think of me? I don't fucking know. Um, I do do a lot of things that other people don't do. I know that. Um, I do spend my money on things that other people wouldn't spend their money on. It's just a personal preference. So from the outside, that would look odd. You know, dressing up as my fictional ancestors on a shoot and then turning my, uh, when I was a bachelor, turning my little basement flat into a cartoon ancestral home to house the pictures um, seemed like a very good investment to me and you know that got me on channel 4 got my own half hour program on Japanese TV got me in a lot of international newspapers got me into the National Football Museum on permanent display got me shooting two commercials dressed up as my fictional ancestors and directing them at the same time I've got tons of stories like that. So who would have gone, you know, I think the thing that's different about me and why a lot of people might, not a lot of people, who thinks about me anyway, but if anyone was to look at me from the outside and see, think maybe that's a bloke who, do, who actually does the stupid things that the rest of us would, would um, suggest as a joke, laugh about and not do. Mm. I like, it yeah, wouldn't it be funny if we did that and then doing it, yeah, yeah. So you know, as long until the money runs out, I'm going to continue drawing stupid hats, getting them made, wearing them, and then being approached by people in the street. The conversations that start because of the things that I do. You know, I had an art show recently. I never set myself up as an artist. I've now got two galleries asking for my work. I've sold um, probably in the region of twenty thousand quid's worth of art. It all happened just because I started. I started a conversation with someone in the gallery, with no intention of, of selling me art to anyone, no idea where that conversation was going. And at the end of the conversation, I had an art show that's opened up a new world to me. I'm going to Japan very shortly. 
I'm, you know, I've suddenly I've got something I could sell over there. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna be having some conversations when I'm in Tokyo. Fuck knows where that's gonna lead. But it, it's all come out of me drawing a stupid picture and then realising it. That's all. That's all that's happened. And any creative can do it. Anybody. Yeah. It's interesting. One of my friends uh, is creative as well, and we we had this running joke. We just we just called it the list, which is like all the stupid ideas we said yeah and like ultimately probably would never do you know what I mean we'd never bother to do them mm. we'd call it the list and we'd just go oh, pop it on the list you know it's just this list of stupid ideas so um, very interesting to hear you say that it's those kind of things see I've got the same go list do them I've still got the uh, you know I've got the list and yeah. I'm working and that working is my, you know, that's what I'm trying to do you know yeah. if I'm optimistic I've got 20 years left on the planet if I'm opt- I'm not trying to be uh, dark or grim or pessimistic here but if I'm optimistic I've got 20 years left on the planet how many of those 20 years am I going to still have my marbles or me will to get out of bed or my eyesight mm. so maybe I've got another 10 good years in me yeah I'd like to think I've got more but maybe I have if I'm really bloody lucky so this list I've got if I was to show you upstairs I've got plastic boxes just full of concepts that haven't been realised I'm working my way through them and the big problem is that every day I spot a restaurant that only sells crisps so or I start talking to someone in a gallery that says do you want to put on a turn this gallery into a into an evil supermarket and I say yeah uh, so for all the conversations I have I get distracted from the list so yeah. it's very hard to yeah, yeah. suddenly I've got to go to Tokyo and turn my art show into a, a sellable thing over there so the list has has gone to one side but that's why you know that's why I do get up at four o'clock in the morning sometimes I can't do it as often as I used to you know maybe I do it once a month now but I get up at five o'clock every morning because I'm getting that extra couple of hours and I've worked I've worked every weekend this year because I like it's more for fortunately I'm married to someone who's the same and you know she's in her fifties, and at fifty she was trying to she changed her career from a makeup artist and said I want to write um, screenplays and did some courses and wrote some screenplays and we found it was very hard to get a film made, so she wrote a play, and then got rejected by lots of producers and lots of theatres, and I said let's put the play on. So I got forty grand out of my back pocket and we put the play on. We'd never done put a play on before. It went for a month, made loads of mistakes there. And then she wrote another play, and then we put that on as well, and that was sold out because I used what I knew had been advertising to sell the play. So it was on for a shorter run, and it sold out. We never put plays on before. Now, her first play has been published. It's been on in America. It's been on in Australia. It's been on in New Zealand. It's been translated into Greek. It's been on a dozen times this year all over the country. But we haven't extracted the juice from that yet. And suddenly I'm in showbiz. I'm an executive producer of two plays now, and we're working on a bunch, three short films that we're going to turn it. You know, we're going to sell the tape together and turn it into a feature. We're going to produce that. I've never done that before. I've been in, I've been invited to uh, be a speaker in Rome in March, and I've come up with a concept for the for the talk. I've been in a 40, 40 minute spot in front of a lot of interesting people from Netflix and Amazon and uh, Disney 
and my initial response was because I'm a scaredy cat I think oh, what do they want to listen to my stories for they can just say look we do, look mate we've just done stranger things we're not interested in your little stuff so my initial response is I'm going to say no I've got chatting to the bloke and uh, I thought well fuck it I'm going to do it so I've come up with this concept of doing it like a, a, a you know a self-help um, uh, speech um, where I'm advocating the uh, the use of stupidity as a as a um, as a, an asset, and I thought, oh, well, actually, I, maybe I can do, do a self help book on stupidity um, and publish that in time for this March talk, so I can go over there with a suitcase full of books at the same time. So that gives me after my Japan trip, I've got a couple of months to put a book together and get that published for. Um, March. It's great having deadlines. See that? Mm. I, see things like that came come up, and it's a ridic. It is an absolutely ridiculous thing to, for me to set myself. What do you mean? You're going to publish a book and have it completed by March and printed and ready to sell by March for a speech you haven't written yet? I've, all I've got is a stupid drawing at the moment. The front the front cover. That's all I've got. I could do that. It will be done. I'll enrol a lot of other people to help me because I've read how to win friends and influence people. So I will win a few friends, influence a few people, and get them to help me do it. Because I can't, I can't do anything by myself. If you were to leave the room, I'd be sitting here picking my nose. <laughs> if, I did, if I didn't have a, if I didn't have a pad and a pen, because I can't do production-wise, I can't do anything. Interesting. Um, what was the question again? I've forgotten, but it was a fantastic answer. Um, okay, so I'm going to put two questions together now. Um, and it's a creative industry is very, very subjective. Um, so being subjective, in your opinion, what would you say are bad professional recommendations that you hear a lot in our industry? Or, depending on what you find easier to answer, what does our industry most consistently get wrong? That's tough because you know I'm I'm not sitting with the students when they're going and talk talking to other creatives. I don't know what other creatives uh, or you know more senior creatives would um, give as advice. See, I imagine there's a lot of advice given that is based on the the, the standard set way of getting into the industry. Get a, you know go to art college or go to university, get a portfolio together, go to a lot of uh, read a lot of DNA D annuals. A lot of those things that I, I would advocate, be an advocate of, but I wouldn't. I really would, you know. But this is just for me. You know, anyone else who's not me taking my advice might find that they, are, <laughs> they um, never get into advertising. Mm. See, I've only been able to do things my way because I've, because I do think differently. Not because I'm, you know, we're all special in our own way. But um, I don't think I'm particularly intelligent I don't think I'm particularly sharp I've got a, a system that works for me and most of it is about being in action and um, I wouldn't go to I wouldn't go to art college I wouldn't go to university I would if you've got a spark of creativity about you I would get stuck in and work it out and I would go and talk to a lot of people in agencies um, 
and you, you know, sooner or later you're going to find someone like me who would be. See, uh, you know, when I see a creative spark, I, I, I can't help but want to chuck petrol on it. Personally, I love keen people, and keenness, to me, is more valuable than talent. There's, you know, I've got you know a lot of friends who are not doing it anymore, who are so much more talented than I am. You know, great creatives, but peddling hard and being keen and being you know genuinely enthusiastic about doing something it's infectious and uh, I know that I can't I'm not alone in wanting to help anyone who's that keen uh, and enthusiastic because you know I, I get a load of youngsters involved in my projects you know if they've got funny faces like you I invite them to be in my photographs and obviously you haven't got a funny face, you've got a very distinctive look. That's what I meant to say. Oh, thank you very That's much. That's what I meant to say. You know, um, so, you know, I'll invite a lot, lot of youngsters who haven't, with not, not a lot of experience, to get involved in my productions, whether it's being in front of the camera or, you know, lugging something about or, um, uh, you know, lighting something if they're a budding DOP or, or doing a bit of art direction, nailing a set together, doing a bit of makeup. See, um, I'm pointing at a picture of my lovely stepdaughter there. That's when she was 15. Right. Um, I did an identity for Blink, the production company. I can't, you know, couldn't help myself. She's only 15 there. I thought, well, you'll make a good 1950s housewife holding a tin of corned beef. So I dressed her up, put her in front of the camera. Just recently, she went to art college. So again, I would have, I would have, I would have. Uh, suggested that she didn't go to art college she went to art college didn't do a lot of art college but I knew she was talented and um, when it came to a recent project where um, I got uh, one of my graphic designers uh, dressed up in front of the camera because she's Chinese I thought oh, it would be great to paint her blue like the famous Trechikov picture from the 1960s I got my stepdaughter to paint her face blue she'd never done any makeup like that before but I thought she was quite arty and that's one of the pieces of art that we've sold thousands of pounds worth of uh, images from. She hadn't done anything like that before. If I see a spark of any talent, I think, we haven't done that before. Have a go at that. Make a cardboard uh, South American dictator's costume for me. And then we'll shoot it. And then we'll see what happens when we've done that. So, again, I haven't got a fucking clue what the question was um, would I what are the mistakes it's not about mistakes that are made in the industry as far as advice that's given here's the best bit of advice that I can give to anyone just roll your sleeves up and get stuck in and talk to a load of people and be keen that's all you've got to do it's as bloody simple it really is as simple as that don't think too hard don't stand on the don't try to work it out before you get stuck in don't read the book about how to swim before you get in the pool. Get in the pool. Get in the pool. Remember that. Um, you uh, you sort of mentioned that you think the standards of uh, working industry have sort of dropped. Is that the one? That, you know, if you said, oh, "I really wish this would change about the industry," would that be it? No, I don't. Do you know better? what? I don't wish um, anything about the industry. I, I look at you know. I am selfish. Uh, I look at myself. I look at what I'm doing. 
do I wish I'd get more scripts to realise? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I wish that. But, you know, you can spend your life wishing about things or you can make things happen. Um, do I wish more people would see how bloody brilliant I, I was and give me more graphic design jobs or more photography jobs? Yes. All of that. Or do I wish the industry would think, yeah, that old git used to come up with good ideas. Let's get him in for a pitch. He could draw some stupid pictures for us or... or design some costumes or design some characters do I wish that phone would ring a bit more give me those opportunities yeah but don't it don't do many good wishing stuff um, the industry you know the way I see it is whatever a lot of people in the industry say about the standards haven't slipped they have slipped um, they have slipped into the very best stuff is still very good there's some great stuff going on now, if I was a creative, I'd give Dougal Wilson all of my scripts. He's bloody brilliant, and he's doing great stuff. And stuff, you know, from a production point of view, and from a post-production point of view, there's stuff going on now that really we couldn't have dreamt of 25 years ago. So there's certain craft things that are better. From a from a print point of view, the standards are slipped. I go down to the uh, the um, tube stations, I walk along the platform, now I've got my freedom pass, walk along the platform, give myself a test, find a good poster, I can't find one. And I've had my freedom pass for getting on for a year now, and um, I haven't seen one good poster that I'm envious of in the year. That's a, that is the truth. And um, there used to be lots of posters up on the hoardings that I was envious of when I was a creative, at, at the peak of my creative career. There was still stuff out there that made me feel sick because it was so good and I was envious of. And there ain't nothing I'm envious of there. There's not one poster in London that I'm aware of over the last year that I'm envious of. Now maybe there's something great out there that I haven't seen. It doesn't happen to be on the Jubilee line. Maybe. I don't bloody know. But um, you know, when I was a youngster, you used to even um, campaigns that weren't big award winners like, I remember Smirnoff, for instance, you'd have people like Duffy shooting the the, uh, the shots. You'd have loads of great original photography, loads of great typography, loads of great craft going on. You know, I'm a commercials director. The print is still there. The, the, the magazines are still there. You know, I do the same test on the uh, Sunday Times supplement, all the supplements, I buy all the Sunday papers. But Sunday Times used to have the best ads in. When CDP, in the late 60s, early 70s, were using uh, the Times, the Sunday Times magazine as a portfolio to show off the very best work they've done. You know, because I'm a hoarder, I buy loads of, I do buy loads of stuff, despite the fact I don't want to own anything. I've got loads of magazines from the 60s, I've got loads of magazines from the 70s. If anyone who says that the, the um, uh, standards haven't dropped, all they've got to do is ring me up, come round to my gaff, I'll get all of my 60s Sunday supplements out and my 70s Sunday supplements out and we will go through the current ones and the old ones together. Because there have been people that very vocally say, you know, on podcasts and the like saying, the old gits are going on like, like things are not as good and it's not true. And it, it is true. I've got the printed evidence to say that it's true come around and have a look at me 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s magazines. You know, print is, looks, 
from a creative point of view, looks dead from the outside. Love to have that debate with anyone who thinks this is good now. Telly-wise, production-wise, it's better than it's ever been. Ideas-wise, there's too many committees involved. You know, the proportion of good stuff is smaller. And, um, you know, the thing I've seen about uh, what happens in agencies that didn't used to happen when I was a creative. Too many meetings, there's too many, too much chat. And there's too many people with their fingers in the process. So things do get watered down. Now, as a, as a creative person myself, I, you know, obviously I'm still producing TV commercials. My role is to be in there and be, be as, um, you know, supportive as possible to the creative team around me and, and the agency in trying to simplify things and stop the process getting too messy and stop the edges being knocked, knocked off. But it is a difficult challenge that, you know, you have to be pretty bloody creative to think of ways of selling the best solution now. See, I, at the same time, I love pre-production meetings. A lot of directors would say they hate a pre-production meeting. I love them. It's like being on stage, it's the theatre, mm. and, and it's solving problems. It's solving problems on your feet. Because I get, you know, sometimes you get the account man, before you go into the meeting, right, difficult client, don't mention X, Y, and Z. Whatever you do, don't mention X, Y, and Z. There's a big issue, big issue about X, Y, and Z. Don't mention it. So of course I go in there and the first thing I say, X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and then you see the clients relax because they think, at last we've got someone coming here who wants to talk about the things that we're worried about. Right, very true. That's creativity. It's not, do, you know, it's not doing what's bloody obvious. Yeah. You know, thinking about, right, there's a problem there. Run towards it. Don't run away from it. So... This is going to be a pattern, isn't it? What was the question again? That's fine. Uh, well, it's, like, it's all getting good stuff. Um, so is that, is that the sort of questions you're asking yourself in a briefing then as a director? How can the, you know, is it, you're asking yourself, how can this process be simpler or, you know? Well, you know, if there's an idea, there, you know, uh, generally there, you know, uh, there is an idea, even if the idea uh, in a script is the execution, uh, then there's something to protect. So, you know, it's, you know, it's funny. Uh, um, clients are nervous about things that I'm not nervous about. Oh, most creatives are not nervous nervous about. It's a, that's a sweeping statement because obviously, you know, I, still every now and then, I meet clients who are just really supportive, and there's still a lot of them about. And I, you know, generally I get on with. I've never fallen out with a client that I can remember. It's, it is frustrating sometimes, but the things they worry about are not the things I'm worried about. You know, and when these things come up in pre-production meetings, I think, if only you knew the list of things that I'm worried about, maybe you'd be a lot more worried. Because yeah. it's usually, you know, things that, oh, where am I going to get that model made in time? They, the budget won't support getting that great bit of prosthetics. How can I think around that and we'll we're stick a Rice Krispie on, on that uh, old lady's face instead of getting a prosthetic hairy wall made you know you have to be clever nowadays because yeah. budgets are not what they used to be so you have to think outside it or rather than building a big set let's put it on a limbo background with a few key props and suggest that you're in a stadium rather than actually being in a stadium or building a stadium so 
there's, you know, what I said earlier, coming up with creative solutions, it, it feels, it feels like the puzzles are getting harder now, but you know, I like a tough puzzle. Um, you know, I don't know what the question was. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> that's fine. Um, is there anything you're currently, uh, personally kind of struggling with in, in your work or something you're trying to improve or something you're trying to learn, like a new skill or? Yeah, t- tons of stuff in, insofar as I keep launching myself self into worlds that I know nothing about. So I could have an e- I could have a very easy life if I put my mind to it, but there's obviously something in me that doesn't want an easy life. Being thrust by mistake into the world of art, where galleries are interested in my work and I'm selling thousands of pounds worth of stuff, talking to screen printers, talking to gilders, talking to people involved in processes that I know nothing about, I've known nothing about, a world that I don't really know much about. Fascinating, educational, no, not, not scary at all insofar as I like learning new stuff. The world of the theatre, you know, it was great putting a play on because I didn't know anything about putting a play on. I didn't, I didn't go to the theatre much, I didn't like, my missus was a big theatre fan. She took me to a lot of really boring plays where I left half time um, I like musicals, but you know I was more interested in film than theatre. Suddenly, I'm in the world of theatre. I know nothing about it. I wasn't scared about it at all because when big names were mentioned, I didn't know who they were. I know who John Egerty is. I know who Dave Trott is. I know who the leading lights of advertising are. So I might Paul Arden. I cared what he thought about me art direction a bit. I think, um, but um, Cameron Mackintosh. He did, may not have liked our play if he had seen it. I don't bloody care. I don't know him. It's not from my world, you know, or anyone from the theatre world. It's it's great being in. It's great doing things um, where you don't care what the end result is. It's just a fun process. So I, I I've got to say I'm not. I do. I am a warrior. I worry about daft things that no one else worries about. I'm I'm going on. Give, me, give on, me an example. Yeah, I'm going on holiday soon. My right. missus makes me go on Every three years I have to go on holiday because I resist it. Right. I'm going on holiday soon. I've, I've got sleep. I've had sleepless nights worrying about going on holiday. Flying? Hate, or No, I'm not scared of flying. I hate going on holiday. I think I'm going to miss something. Back here? Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. And when op- you say there, miss them, do you mean an opportunity? or? I don't know. Something? I don't know. It's completely irrational. I don't know. You know, see, it's easy for me to say, yeah, I went six and a half years without an holiday and I went in Christmas days. It might make me sound like a martyr. I did it because I preferred it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I was lucky enough, you know, look at the records, Ad for Ad, me and Chris, for that period of time, were the biggest uh, award winners, probably in the world. They were certainly in, this, in the UK, Ad for Ad. Um, but... I met the perfect partner in Chris because he wanted to go in on Christmas Day as well. You know, for anyone listening to this thing, fucking, I don't agree where you have to do that. Yeah, I chose, I, I chose that because I preferred it, and I'm still preferring it. Now. And I'm fortunately, I married a woman who likes working every weekend. We work every single weekend because we like it because it's more fun than not doing it. Um, and she says stupid things like. I want to put a play on. And I say stupid things like, we're going to put the play on. And 
be ge- you know, the, again, this is touching on an earlier thing. I love people saying no to me. I love being turned, you know, I've, I've published four books now. I've been turned down by a lot of publishers. And then in the end, and I'm publishing my next book. I knew nothing about public. I've published three magazines. I know nothing about, well, I do know a bit more about publishing now than I did. I wouldn't choose to go to an outside publisher now. I don't want an editor telling me what cover I'm gonna have on my, on my book. I like control, I like doing it myself. Um, does my missus want someone else to produce the next play? She does actually. But I think, you know, the next play we put on is going to be a little bit closer. We've been in Ealing, we've been in the Riverside. I considered putting her first play on uh, uh, the Whitehall Theatre, um, which is the West End. The next play that we put on will be in the West End. And we might produce it ourselves. We might do. Fuck knows where that's going to be. I haven't got a bloody clue. We might be just chucking our money away. I don't know. But um, uh, I wish I knew what the question was. <laughs> but fa- you know, failure, rejection, people saying no, fear. Oh yeah, it's fear. Holidays. Fucking hate holidays. I hate the concept of them. And then when I get on them, I start talking to people. And then so Tokyo is a wrecky. But have I already got galleries lined up to talk to? Yeah. Have I already got people in advertising agencies who, who possibly might want to talk? Yeah. Have I designed a complete wardrobe of interesting outfits for me and the missus to go to while we're in Tokyo? Yeah, I've done that. It was the first thing I... When I decided to go to Tokyo in aid of the art show, that was the first thing I did. I picked up a pad and designed all the costumes I'm going to wear over there. And I've had them made. I've had labels woven the costumes, I've had hats made, I've had trousers made, I've had jumpers made, I've had shoes made, I've had socks made, I've had matching outfits made for me missus. Because it's a fucking stupid thing to do that may lead nowhere, it may lead somewhere. Did I enjoy the process of just, just, I've organised, I've got a photo shoot next week where we're shooting all the costumes. I don't know where that's going to go. Good morning. Good morning. Is it stupid? Yes. Is it going to open up an opportunity? Quite possibly. Good to. And that's one of the. That's how. That's how I. That's my tranquilizer, if you like. Having enough creative stuff attached to a holiday suddenly stops it being quite so holiday-like. Yeah. I look forward to um, seeing the costumes. I'll show you the hats before you. Yeah. Um, So you spoke a little bit about the play but um obviously i did a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a stalk although i knew about you know knew about you uh, before we met but i did do a stalk and um sort of came across your mexican wrestling yeah. book so you could tell me a bit about that and how that kind of came well, around well you know this is the you know malcolm venville was the same photographer i was working with on nike when i had my own agency um and he was shooting a nike thing for me and i said to him do you want to shoot me this weekend dressed up as my fictional ancestors so, this is going back a little bit. So, I, get, I had a great friendship with Malk. He was one of the people that I enrolled to get involved in my world, doing stupid things like shooting me as an Edwardian footballer and my old ancestors and lots of other stupid projects. So, when I became a director and he had a very successful production company, I got a phone call from him and he said, do you want to own 50% of my production company? I said yes I would like that so I became his partner and owned 50% of the company 
because we'd started a process and that he knew me from a creative point of view and I paid him back for the all the things that we did together by giving him most of the Nike campaign to shoot and it was the biggest of all bullying poster campaign in the world for two years running and Malcolm became famous and so when it came for me to be a partner with him no money changed and he gave me 50% of the company very successful company I think he had about 13 million pound turnover by the time I left um, he, he became very successful in America and started shooting lots of American ads and he fell in love with the, the Mexican wrestlers the uh, not them literally the uh, costumes and he started sending photographs back of the Mexican wrestlers that he, he got into a studio and I said these would make a great book and we approached two publishers and they the Thames and Hudson were interested a big American publisher were interested and then they turned it down so not knowing anything about publishing a book at that point I said let's do it ourselves so me and Malcolm published the book and of course we couldn't not only did this big glossy coffee table book because Malcolm was like-minded we agreed it would be a perfect opportunity and idea to fly some Mexican wrestlers over and have in the UK's first ever world championship Mexican wrestling bout in Leicester Square and we hired the Café de Paris and put it on and Creative Review described it as the party of the decade because it was great and if we were ever going to make any money from the Mexican wrestling book we spunked it all on the party by flying Mexican wrestlers across and I, all I see that as I don't look at the amount of money I lost on it I see that as a massive success it's one of the, my favourite things that I've ever done it's fantastic and of course you know, all of these stories have given me the talks I wouldn't have the talks I wouldn't be going to Rome next year with a self-help book if I hadn't done all these odd things creative things I've got tons of stories that have really led me into these interesting, you've got to come to a talk, or anyone who's listening to this, come along to a talk, because I've got so many examples of just sticking your neck out from a creative point of view, backing it, and um, then these extraordinary things happening. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm, after 41 years, I'm still in advertising, and, that, and I'll leave it when I choose to. No one, no one will pension me off. You know, I've got, you know, he said arrogantly, I can stay in advertising the way I feel. I can keep doing it as long as I want to keep doing it. Um, any creative who apply, any creative who applies themselves, like and this is the advice I give to anyone. Uh, imagine you've been given a brief, and the brief is selling yourself. Get go, uh, uh, read out to win friends and influence people. Ring up a top planner, and get a planner to write you a, a great brief on how you sell yourself. Uh, you know, that's the objective, that's the proposition, selling you. How to, and, and the, the end objective would be, give, you know, on a 25 year, 30 year career in advertising. And then work on that like it's a brief. And if you can't crack that brief, you shouldn't be in it in the first place. It's, it's, as, it's as simple as that. Because all it is, is selling a tin of baked beans, that's all it is. There we go. I think this will come into a good, um, 
kind of natural ending here. So yeah, you, I've noticed you dozing off halfway through. No, not at all. Um, it's quite hard because while we're talking, I'm having to dart down to the questions, and uh, I won't shy away from saying I haven't done many of these. So uh, there we go. Um, so we'll do some quick fire questions. Yeah. Um, that my editor can cut these out if any of them don't yeah. go very well. Um, do you want to? Because I've added a few. Yeah, sorry, so just, just read them out. Have a quick look. Cause no, case, no, you I'm, want to go for it? Uh, yeah. All right, well, just go. I'll just, keep, try and keep them simple. Just go next question, basically, yeah. if you don't want to answer any. Yeah. Um, so we just so we can do a cut, we'll do it sort of a few seconds of silence. Okay. Okay, so we do some wrap up questions now just to finish up here, Mark. Um, some of these are fun, some of these are more business uh, minded. Um, so here we go. Favourite piece of creative work you've seen recently inside or outside of the creative advertising industry? Favourite bit of creative work? God, that's bloody hard. Uh, but that really is hard because, you know, I love print and I haven't seen any good print for bloody ages. And I'm um, the same as everyone else. I fast forward all the, all the ads on the telly because generally they're not very good. Um, apart from my ones, of course, which are exceptionally good. Um, favourite bit of advertising see ah, right. inspirational creative stuff I'm on Instagram every every day so I come across stuff that are a lot more uh, visual ideas a lot more inspirational on Instagram than they are in advertising at the moment so yeah, God knows what I saw this morning you know I saw I saw I'll tell you what I saw um, I came across a, photo- a, a photographer from LA, came across their Instagram feed, and it was this outrageous makeup, really outrageous, grotesque in fact, and I've fallen in love with it. So I've got a project on, as a direct result of that, where I'm going to dress my missus up as an, a very old common woman from Essex. And I'm going to make a goiter out of a paper bag and I'm going to do the makeup myself and I'm going to turn her into a grotesque and we're going to shoot that uh, next week and that's just come out of seeing something on Instagram something that's moved me to want to do something in it from advertising I haven't seen anything for a while um, favourite idea that never happened favourite idea I've got tons of stuff that's never happened but because um arm of the persuasion of um, uh, making sure things do happen um, it's never that's never a, a problem insofar as I'll give you a very quick example I did a job for Brill Cream where they asked me to, uh, a directing job for Brill Cream where they asked me to design a town full of people with bad hair as a fun side project the client didn't know anything about it I designed a newspaper where I wrote all the copy, shot all the pictures, designed a complete newspaper for that town that no one would ever see. And I said to the client, would you like this? £1,000 to print. Uh, You could use it as a sales promotional thing. And he said no. And despite the fact the client said no, he he didn't want to stump up. He was interested. And then when I told him how much it would cost, he said no, I just made it anyway, even though the client didn't want it. So I... Generally, when I get if things are good, I I did a pitch for a print campaign uh, last year. Um, I didn't get the job, 
it was a timing thing. They wanted me to do it. I didn't get the job. There was an element in the print campaign that I brought along as part of the pitch. And so despite the fact the job didn't go ahead, I'm shooting that early next year as well. So I've got the plan to shoot that. So generally, anything I really like, I'll make anyway. Good to hear. Uh, three people, dead or alive, that you'd love to invite to dinner? I'd like... Um, okay. My dead mum, my dead old boss from Leo Burnett, and... Um, I can't really think of any. Alive? Who do I, who do I want to talk to? <laughs> be another dead. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I would, okay. I would... Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd rather invite a, a fictional character... Almost any one of my favourite characters from Game of Thrones. I'd like to invite them along. I love Game of Thrones. And um, uh, my dead mum, I want to... How do you... My mum was a terrible cook, but I just got programmed to like her food. I just... I never got round to asking her how she made all of her very interesting alternative meals. <laughs> I know a lot of them came from, from packets, but... Um, Have you got any examples? Some, well... Uh, boiled bacon and peas pudding which I used to like and um, pork rashers and yeah odd stuff suet pudding stuff that my my missus is is from an Italian family so you know I eat pasta now Um, so and I say oh can you find out how to do um, boiled bacon and peas pudding and onion onion sauce and she's not interested because um, you know, she's, I do do beans on toast every now and then, but I'm I'm not really good at cooking. So, and uh, my dead old boss, I want to give him a hard time. I mean, first time I got into DNAD, he nicked the credit. I want to. I never had an opportunity to say, "What the fuck did you do that for?" I've never let it. I've ne- it's never happened to me since. And, uh, but I want to give him a Chinese burn. Yeah. Last. <laughs> Can you remember the last song you sang to yourself or someone else? Uh, I do sing a bit. I'm, I'm a crap singer. I do sing. My party piece is um, a hit from made, a hit made famous by Frankie Lane in the fifties, and it's from Guys and Dolls, uh, sung by Marlon Brando. I could probably do it as well as Marlon Brando because he wasn't <laughs> much of a singer. And it's called A Woman in Love. I know all the words to that. And so I, can, I could do it for you if you like but so right, we can put that in the, in the show notes um, if I could wave a magic wand now and give you the body or the mind of a 20 year old for the rest of your life which one would you choose or neither no I'll tell or you neither. what I'd have the body because yeah. my body's failing now and um, I haven't got the mind of a 20 year old you know and that, I think now and I didn't have it when I was 20. I've got the mind of a 10-year-old. And I've still, fortunately, I've still got it. Being stupid has been one of my greatest assets. Being puerile has been very, very useful. I'll never get over that. I, I think as I'm getting older, I'm getting sillier. Um, and I think it's really fucking useful. Not being sensible is very, very, very useful. So you can keep your 20-year-old mind. I don't need it. I'm happy with a 10-year-old one. Okay. Um, Is there an embarrassing memory from school that you're willing to share? 
Yeah, they look. They it's not really embarrassing. I kind of like it now. They, they you know, when I was a teenager, um, uh, they used to call me Sue because I looked like a girl, and I looked like a girl because I had a very pretty face. Um, it's hard to believe now looking at me, and uh, it didn't emotionally scar me at all. Um, so. Um, I tell you, what, I, I didn't get embarrassed about it at the time. I liked the attention. Now there was no, there was no other physical manifestation of this them seeing me as a girl, so uh, there was no traumatic experience at all. But um, uh, um, yeah, I like. I see the fact is, I, I again, what it just reminded me of another thing. Going back to an earlier question about things, the way that I think that. Uh, Maybe a lot of other people don't think like this, uh, and I'm going to say something really bloody puerile now. I love knockers. <laughs> yeah, I told, I told you it was puerile. But I love knockers. I love people knocking me. I love the platform it gives you. I love critics. I bloody love it. When I took on the Creative Circle, this is going to be a little bit of a ramble. I took on the Creative Circle, and a lot of people said, "Don't take it on. It's failing the Creative Circle." And I. I only took the Creative Circle on as, as president because um, I was offered to be on the committee and I said no, I'll only, do, I'll only help if you make me president because it was, it was going out of business. And a lot of people said Creative Circle shit but I took it on uh, because a lot of people said it was shit. And, I, and uh, once I took it on, um, I remember on Ben Case blog, I had loads of people really laying into me and telling me how shit it was. And I thought it was great. And now, you know, one person said, "You've only taken this on so you can, because you're corrupt and you want to give yourself awards." I love that, so because it gave me—it's like someone handing you a soapbox. It gives you a platform. If someone pats you on the back, you take the compliment. That's the end of it. If someone squares up against you and gives you an alternative point of view, even if they're knocking you. You've got a fantastic debate going on. It gives you a spotlight and a, you know, I remember the campaign offered me a double page spread talking about uh, Creative Circle as a result of all the knocking I was getting on the back of it. So, you know, I love people saying no and I love knockers. Oh, I didn't think that's where you were going with that one. Yeah. <laughs> kept, it, kept it fairly PC. Um, if you could wake up tomorrow with one superpower, do you want it to be? Yeah, I do, yeah. I think we're going back to the twenty-year-old body. It would be a physical thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I I do I do fancy a punch-up every now and then, and I've got nothing to back it up, unfortunately. So, I think it is quite old-fashioned. I think um, I think some people. I don't, you know, I'm not a big advocate of violence as far as, I don't like how popular it is to stab each other mm. for young people. It wasn't like that when I was a youngster. But, um, there's, so there's sometimes, stabbing yeah, would be one. <laughs> that'd be, you know, that'd be good. Because I, I do keep getting myself sort of into trouble. In Funny you should say that, it was only just outside. Someone threatened to stab me outside, and I run up, run after him. I didn't run away from him. I am, um, and I've got nothing to back anything up at all. I'm not physically very fit, um, but I, 
you know you you're out in the world when you're in the cinema like in the cinema if someone's having a chat behind me i just turn around and say shut the fuck up and then I realised that I've talked to a young person who looks very fit and I'm old and I've got nothing to back that up. So I've got a big trap with no physical attributes to yeah. back it up at all. Okay. So I wouldn't mind being a little bit more physically fit. Yeah. So that's a superpower. I love it. Okay, last one then. Um, your house is on fire and no person or animal that you love is in it. What one object would you save? Nothing. I, I would let it burn and I would probably... Um, chuck a bit of petrol on it because I think it's very easy to get attached to stuff. It's great, th- you know, it's great having things broken because it means you have to build them again. And I haven't got, I haven't got anything physical I'm attached to, no, absolutely nothing at all. I've, and I've got some stuff that's worth money. You know, so I suppose it's insured stuff that's worth money. It don't it don't mean anything. And even people would say, oh, I'd save the photograph al- albums. I'm not even sure I'd worry about them too much either because um, everything's in the cloud now anyway isn't it but uh, um, yeah I've got nothing and I pour petrol on it because it means you, you know going back to me getting kicked out of my own agency it meant that I had to do something else the recession hit it meant that I had to think myself out of it all my stuff's taken away all my clothes that I've designed is a, a burn I've got to design a load of new ones we've got some insurance money great I'll have some new costumes bloody great very good um I think that's a place to stop. Mark, thanks so much for talking today. Well, it's been a pleasure, and I hope your ears get better. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll read the questions now, because I know that I answered a lot of stuff, not necessarily the questions. No. And what I said earlier is true. You, I, want, I, don't want people to, I don't want anyone to waste my time. If, you've got, if you want to be in the SAS and not the Brownies, nothing wrong with the Brownies in this PC... Um, equal world that we live in um, but if you want to be in the SAS and not the brownies and be given some really fucking stupid tasks that might um, progress your career a bit give me a ring and uh, you know I'll talk to any creatives who want to do some stuff I would love to meet some keen young people who want to get their hands dirty so well, there we um, go everyone that's listening and don't go to university or art college Mark, thank you very, very much. It's been a pleasure.